after these messages, we'll be right back. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Are you in good hands? And now, a word from our sponsors. Hello, everybody. Welcome to After These Messages, the podcast where we talk about television commercials. We talk about the good ones. We talk about the bad ones. And we talk about the ones where people say really weird shit like this. Bending over to put your shoes on is a backbreaking chore. And trying to get them off can hurt even more. If it rhymes, it chimes. That's what we say in our household. Hi there, my name is Andrew Walsh. I am here with Genevieve Has, and we are your co-hosts for this here show. Hey, Genevieve. Hi, Andrew. We are surrounded by boxes in our new apartment in Seattle, Washington. No longer officially... No longer a L.A.-based podcast. We're a Seattle-based podcast, and here we are in the midst of moving, but always taking the time out of our day to talk about commercials because it's our favorite thing in the world. Um, last week, Genevieve, uh, during the show, we had mentioned that we are getting so much feedback. We are getting uh, emails, by the way, after these messages show at gmail.com is the place to send them. We have our Facebook page, which has been overflowing with comments from you guys reacting to stuff we've talked about, and you guys have been uh, leaving voice Emails on our voicemail line uh, telling us about commercials that we should talk about. And so we are dedicating today's show to all of the feedback that you have sent us. It's an all ad council edition of After These Messages with one notable exception. As you said at lunch today, Genevieve, we can't ignore the most interesting elephant in the room. Get a last look at this brave pioneer who will not be returning. His only regret is not knowing what regret feels like. He is the most interesting man in the world. His trip to Mars is only one way. Adios, amigo. Adios, amigo, indeed. As soon as we posted last week's show, in which we talked about some of our favorite and least favorite commercials, we talked about the Dos Equis Most Interesting Man in the World commercial and how it's one of our favorite ad campaigns currently on TV. It seems like it's perfect in every way. And as soon as our show hit the internet last week, the news broke that Dos Equis is saying goodbye to the most interesting man in the world, or at least they're saying goodbye to the most interesting man in the world as we know him. Yeah, that's right. And I want to thank uh, listener Brandon, who uh, was actually listening to our show when he saw the news pop up in his feed about this uh, this recasting that they're doing. I think this is such a bizarre decision that they're making. And, and to, to kind of give you the, the shorthand version of it, Dos Equis is a company that's owned by Heineken. They're the same same beer company as Heineken. And they apparently are now the sponsors of college football playoffs. And allegedly, they were looking to kind of, you know, hippify their image, uh, get make, make their image a little younger, make, make their appeal to a younger crowd or a younger demographic. There's a number of interesting sort of details about the story. I think it's worth noting that the actor uh, who's 77, his name is Jonathan Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Goldsmith has been doing this role for 10 years. He started in, in 2006. Um, but right now he's in the midst of uh, some legal uh, dispute with, I believe, his agency. Yeah. So he's not in a legal dispute with Heineken or with Dos Equis. And, and Dos Equis, their spokespeople claim it has nothing to do with, with whatever legal troubles he's got. But the timing does seem a little bit or maybe a little bit suspicious that, that there would, he'd be having this legal dispute and that they would take this opportunity to to switch their, their spokesperson. So 
what the the news is is that they are they are sending his character off to Mars never to return so that's the end of it for for Goldsmith and they will announce at some point um you know in a few months that a new actor will be chosen to be the 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 uh the the most interesting man in the world kind of like James Bond I'm with you this sounds like a ridiculous decision and like what are they going to do like spuds mckenzie up the campaign <laughs> I mean, does that I mean, talk about not appealing to young people most people don't even know probably who Spud McKenzie is who are listening to this, but um, it just it sounds like they did a bunch of stupid focus groups with a bunch of stupid young people who are like, oh, he's too <laughs> old, and now they're gonna like bring in some younger person. Like it's it just well for me to me it feels like change for change's sake. Yeah. Um, and you know when he was hired ten years ago, he was already an older man at that point, and uh, famously he he did the uh, the tryout. Uh, he did well in the in the you know cattle call audition, and then his agent, who actually is I think now his wife, uh, his agent got a call from Dosakis saying like, oh, we really liked you know Jonathan's performance, but you know he's kind of an older guy, like we might want to go with somebody younger. And she had like the greatest pitch to them, which was how could the most interesting man in the world be a young man? Yeah, right. Like, how could he not have accumulated all these experiences? And I think that's like such a great point. And also, and it's such a sort of selling point of the campaign. He's He's got this very, he's incredibly worldly in every sense. Like what's changed that makes it now you have, that you have to have like, you know, the, the young version of this guy. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen with the new ad campaign as they roll it out. They're keeping the same creative company, and they've done a really good job so far. So maybe I'm jumping to conclusions too quickly to say that I already don't like this decision. But the reason why this ad campaign was so interesting was because it didn't play into a stereotype of a commercial. It did break the rules. It, it was a textured uh, kind of... Um, complex yet immediately understandable concept for a beer commercial. And I could list all of its attributes. I feel like we did that last week. Um, and I just think that by saying, oh, well, it doesn't appeal to younger people, is it seems like a little bit of a shortcut to me. But I guess we can remain somewhat optimistic that this is still in the same people's hands and maybe they'll come out with something interesting to follow up. The one kind of interesting aspect of this that I noticed was that um, the the creative company consulted with some of the people who've been involved with the James Bond films. Yeah. And if you think of James Bond as a franchise that for 60-some years now has been able to kind of maintain a certain feel and a, a brand identity, but switching and, and certainly has been able to create stars it has i think bond is an interesting example because it's had a mixed bag in terms of success now daniel craig i think is probably one of their they're, so they're kind of they've kind of been on an upswing i think daniel craig is pretty unequivocally considered to be one of the better bonds but i mean there have been some real crappy real mm -hmm. bargain basement bonds yeah, that's true. throughout the years so i don't know that they've i don't know if they have a perfect track record they certainly know you know, they've had experience doing something like this. Um, who do you think? There's a lot of speculation about who the new most interesting man should be. I think it should be nobody we've ever seen before. Yeah, because like feel very the... strongly about that. I mean, it, like some people were saying, I think some of our listeners were saying 
too, and I, I take it with a grain of salt. I think they were kind of joking, but didn't we get a, a note from somebody who said, hey, what about Matthew McConaughey? Like, that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> like, maybe he could kind of shed some of his old image. And also, these commercials are very winky, so it could be a little bit of a meta thing. But, like, no, I would be very disappointed if somebody new comes out who we immediately recognize from other things. I think what made the most interesting man in the world so compelling to me was I only knew him as the most interesting man in the world. Right. They do need somebody that they cast that, uh, for better or for worse, that becomes his identity. Or as Quartz, uh, which is the the Atlantic's blog, would have it, uh, her identity. They hmm. Quartz uh, wrote a whole piece called um, Dos Equis Should Make Its Next Most Interesting Man a Woman. And then I think you and I were talking about this earlier. They sort of did just completely bypass the, the point in order to make uh, – to make their point about gender equity, but they suggested all these like older women who would sort of be like the female counterpart to Jonathan Goldsmith. And they, they suggested very famous women. I have a feeling this piece was sort of tongue in cheek. I hope so. This was the kind of uh, little piece that kind of drove me crazy a little bit because I couldn't tell if they were missing the point on purpose or <laughs> because it didn't seem to be written like tongue in cheek. It didn't seem it to wasn't be really funny. winky or naughty or, or funny, but they're kind of like, okay, well, the most interesting man in the world is going away for better or for worse. Well, how about we make it a woman? And the paragraph that began the article did lay out kind of an interesting point about the double standards for men and women in, in Hollywood and in advertising. And I'm 100% on board with that. Like, you you don't see a lot of ad campaigns where it's a 77-year-old woman no. who is, you know, cavorting with people more than half her age or less than half and her if, age. And if the point of them changing spokespeople was to attract, um, you know, more women to their brand or just be more updated in a sort of more progressive way because that was their strategy, I would say... Great, that probably is a good strategy, but they've specifically said we're trying to appeal to the watchers of college football, which, you know, like, let's face it, the name suggested by Quartz, like Helen Mirren or Joan Didion. Joan Didion, Didion, I know. That one, that one, that's the one that made me think, like, I think they're kind of joking. I gotta say, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're joking. I mean, to me, and I think Quartz does some pretty cool uh, stuff sometimes, but it also reminds me of one of those side sources. They just gotta, like, just keep cranking out articles. Yes. And somebody was just kind of like, well, let's keep the needles moving. Yeah, exactly. On this one. And so it's like Joan Didion. Yeah. Did you even read why Heineken is making this decision? <laughs> Although I did kind of like the suggestion of Jessica Walter of Archer and Arrested Development fame. Do anything fun this weekend? Because I sure did. Friday night was Cornhole League. Then on Saturday. If I cared about what you do on the weekend, I'd stick a shotgun in my mouth and pull the trigger with my toes. That's a pretty funny clip of tape, but I I know that you're not being 100% literal on this either. But I do have to say, one of the articles I was reading about the most interesting man in the world pointed out that he was like really high class, but not snobby yeah. or cruel. Like it was this weird combination of traits. Like he was a type of guy who people aspire to. And that was another big part of the creation of this character I was reading. When he first came into existence, they specifically didn't go with a younger person, not only because, as you mentioned, how can somebody who's only in their 20s be that interesting? You know, you need more more world experiences. But aside from that, 
they didn't want to create a character who was the same age as their target audience because they didn't want to threaten their target audience. Mm-hmm. They didn't want it to be this young, studly man who the couch potatoes like me who are watching football are watching and, and feeling threatened by, but instead somebody they can aspire to. There, are, there aren't that many characters in TV commercials that are like aspirational characters. Well, maybe that's not true. Maybe the Matthew McConaughey fancy, maybe any luxury kind of commercial is aspirational. So maybe I take that back. Yeah, I, I think aspirational in a different way. I mean, you can you could be aspirational in the sense of, oh, you know, I see a woman who is sort of plausibly like me, but like, you know, 15 pounds lighter and, you know, three shades blonder or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but I think aspirational in the sense you mean is more like... Um, you know, he has all these great stories and it does kind of make you just for just for a sort of a, a quick second. Imagine if you if you also had great stories. I think Vegas has actually done a really good job of oh, yeah. as a whole brand creating a sort of aspirational like come to Vegas and you'll have a story to tell. So, yeah, that's a good point. He's and you the were, human Vegas. You were talking about some of those uh, commercials for resorts and stuff in Vegas last week and we drew a connection between the most interesting okay. man in the world and that. All right. Um, well, we are 15 minutes into a show that is supposed to be all about listener feedback and we haven't gotten the listener feedback yet. Should we do it? Should we check in with the ad council? Let's do it. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words saying Only the echoes of my mind All right, Veeves, you're going to drive this one. I know our first email is from uh, listener Krista. What is this one about? Uh, Krista wrote in about the State Farm Never Let Go uh, commercial that we uh, we had some G's for. Um, this was the one where the guy... Uh, says, I'm never getting married. Boom, he's getting married. I'm never, you know, having a kid. Boom, he's having a kid. I'm never moving to the suburbs. Boom, he's moving to the suburbs. And we we didn't particularly care for it um, on a number of counts, but the one that you really took exception to was that the end punchline is, he says, I'm never letting go, um, which, if you follow the logic of the commercial, suggests that he will then be letting go in some way afterwards. So uh, this is from Kristen. She writes in, Andrew, you mentioned the next logical step is that he leaves his family for a stewardess. But the thing that popped into my head as I was listening uh, is that the next logical step is that the guy drops dead. Hmm. So the next scene in my head is a coffin and the wife and kids are mourning, but they're going to be taken care of because of State Farm. (laughs) So, well, that got dark. But hey, it's an insurance commercial and they sell life insurance. um, So I'm not sure if that's what they were trying to imply. I strongly don't expect that is what they were trying to imply the guy's not that old he's like maybe 40 right 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 but you know the stress of two kids and (laughs) a wife who insists upon living in the suburbs and driving a suburban car um listen i know that with that commercial i was being pedantic and literal and i know that (laughs) we're only we can be pedantic and literal when we want to be but when other when other uh, publications uh do it we we're also allowed to call them out but it does seem like if you're just kind of following some of the basic rules of either this kind of comedy or storytelling and you're kind of saying i say this 
this is the result. I say this, this is the result. Like it just sets up this pattern of saying, if everything you say you go back on in the next scene, it seems like when you're saying, I'm never going to let go of my family, the next scene is you're going to let go of your family. Having said that, I want to read this email from listener Garner, who does like this commercial more than me. Um, Garner says, I know you two dislike the commercial, but I want to make an argument for it. My wife and I are both planners. We both have our calendars that are looking six months or so into the future. Despite this life just has a way of happening illness or sudden death in the family a job opportunity or even just a random act of nature my wife and I both had our list of I'll nevers but here we are about to buy a house and start our family Congratulations, by the way. Am I, is Listener Garner being literal there? I assume so. All right. Congratulations, Garner. Secondly, I read a different tone from the commercial. The man keeps on saying, I'll never blank, and then he's pleasantly surprised with the outcome. Also, that one-liner, I'm pregnant, is hilarious. That's when I think he says, I'm never having a second kid, and his wife just walks by with a laundry basket and says, I'm pregnant. Yeah. Um, it goes to show again how life kind of just happens sometimes. And as for the final scene, I saw it as the husband finally maturing into his role as a husband and dad. And I do think that's, of course, the point of the commercial. Yeah. I mean, that's not lost on me. Um, Garner says, I found it sweet and endearing, probably because I'm making a similar transition. But I never thought that the scene was going to be them in the divorce court, which is what I think I said. Yeah, I mean, and and this is really telling to me, this email from Garner, because... He's obviously exactly the right demographic for this commercial, right? He's a, you know, a, a young guy starting a family, um, buying a house, and this commercial speaks to him because it should, because th- that's who they were trying to speak to. You and I, I think, were a little eye rolly about it, or a little cynical, or maybe pedantic uh, about it, because we are the, we're still the. I'll nevers, you know, and and I think we we mean it. We say we'll never have kids, you know, but like we we are not the people they're trying to appeal to here. They're trying to appeal to a person with a very specific set of circumstances, and it it isn't us. But that's not why I don't like it. I mean, I got to say that. I mean, there are what if, other- you know you what if you what if you like Garner? You know, life life intervened, and you had you had to say. I will do some things that I thought I'd never do. No, I understand the point of it. Like, and I'm not, I'm not proud of this fact, but I am saying that the reason it drives me crazy is simply because of that rule of threes or whatever uh, you want to call it. Like, it just seems like such a either a logical fallacy. It, it seems like the commercial sets itself up just formatically. You object to it as a comedy. Writer. I can just completely. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I just object to it as from a writing standpoint. Like, your brain just should jump to. Okay, it reminds me of that the, this horrible joke that I used to love as a kid. And I, I'm sure I've told you this before because I love annoying you with things I used to think was funny as a kid. But you know that old riddle. Um, I think you set it up by saying, if the thing you put in the oven is a roast and the thing that you pound into the ground is a post, what is the thing you put in the toaster? Oh, right. And it... it- it- you say toast, but of course you don't put toast in a toaster. You put you, bread yeah, exactly. In a and so, it's, and that riddle, that whole thing is, it's because our brains work in certain ways. And I just sort of feel like the writers of this commercial ign- completely ignore the fact of where our brain would go after setting up this scenario. Yeah. Anyway, I I, I'm I'm just beating a dead <laughs> uh, a State Farm commercial here. So any, anyway, I uh, I do understand what they're going for. Certainly. What else do we have here? Oh, we're gonna uh, want to stay on the uh, State Farm train here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of State Farm, uh, we also talked about the Jake from State Farm 
ad that has been annoying me for yeah this grinds your fully gears. half my life i feel like um so uh again most people have seen this uh, a woman catches her husband talking on the phone late at night she assumes it's a girlfriend or mistress she gets on the phone to uh harangue the mistress and finds out it's uh, jake from state farm and he's wearing khakis and i said i didn't like the writing and i thought that they um sort of missed the joke or, or wrote past the joke anyway we got a little interesting background on the actor who plays Jake, uh, he of the famous khakis, uh, from <laughs> listener Ian. And Ian writes, I thought I'd give you some more info on Jake from State Farm. I will say it's not relevant to the actual commercial, just Jake himself. Jake was an actual employee at State Farm's call center in Bloomington, Illinois, which is where their headquarters are. Uh, and actually, State Farm's point of pride is that many of their actors are actual employees of the company, which I didn't That's know. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, the best part is that Jake no longer works for State Farm. He is now a bartender in Bloomington, and his famous khakis are now hanging up in the bar. <laughs> so if you're ever in Bloomington, uh, Illinois, go find out what bar Jake from State Farm is bartending at. I'm sure it's on the interwebs. And go, uh, I don't know, take a selfie with his khakis. Yeah. And then send it to us. I got to say... Then maybe this is classist of me. When I was first reading this email, it said, the good news is he doesn't work for State Farm anymore. I thought for sure the next sentence was going to be something like, you know, he's now running his own insurance company or something <laughs> like that. No, he's, he's, you know, bartending, which is a noble profession, certainly. Um, but that is pretty cool. I, I would ch- I'll tell you what. If I, would I were in the neighborhood, I would, actually, I would go out of my way to go to this bar. Totally. Absolutely. Also, I will argue that bartending is a more noble profession than uh, insurance hawking. So well, yeah. good for you, Jake. There you go. Uh, our apologies to all of the insurance hawkers in the audience. Um, I think I'm just talking to you, Brian, in <laughs> Minneapolis. Uh, let's see here. Another one on the uh, Jake from State Farm ad. This is from listener Randy, who said, You rightly dissed Jake from State Farm on your latest podcast, but I'm loving Farmers Insurance's Stag Pool Party commercial from their Hall of Claims series. The rest of the spots aren't as good, but I'd love to hear you wax poetic about this gem. Wow, thanks. Never waxed poetic about anything before. Um, first of all, I mean, the the Farmers Insurance campaign with J.K. Simmons has been going on for a long time yeah. now, just like using him in various ways. And, and I actually love this campaign. We didn't really, it didn't happen to come up in our last week's episode, but I'm glad that uh, Randy mentioned it because I do think it's a great campaign. Yeah, and I feel like it's kind of taken different uh, shapes over the years, J.K. Simmons being the the one constant. And, of course, if we want to do a little bit of jingle talk here, like, we are farmers, bump, 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 bump. Like, that is stuck in my head. Yeah. Like, sometimes a little stinger jingle like that on the end of a... Um, and the end of a commercial is really effective. Now, anyway, this particular incarnation of the farmer's insurance ads is something called the Hall of Claims. And this particular one, which is kind of visual, um, is called Stag Pool Party. I'll play a bit of it. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything. So we know how to cover almost anything, even a stag pool party. And now what you're seeing uh, in between the music and, and then the brief stops are... A bunch of stuffed deer uh, in somebody's backyard, and each time the lights come on, the music stops, and they've frozen, but they're more and more destructive in his pool area. And I, I'm guessing that this is a real, because they say, we really covered this. We, we covered this stag pool party. I wonder if there was actually some insurance claim where, like, 
a bunch of deer just completely dis- just demolished their pool patio. Yeah, that might be because, yeah, the whole point of the campaign is that they're walking you through some of the oddest, weirdest claims that they've actually had to pay out. I mean, I guess they could be making them up, but I, it's more fun to me to imagine that there's a seed of truth or a kernel of truth in all of them. Should yeah. I play the rest of the ad? I guess it's just it's pretty much just like the sound of, of deers partying and then going silent as soon as somebody turns on the light. It's really cute. We'll yeah, visually it's very page. clever. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get off of insurance a little bit. And um, Anne wrote into us about, uh, a, oh, this is like a type of commercial. I never even thought about this before. <laughs> um, Anne wrote in on a whole genre of commercials that she hates. And she writes, I've realized that I really hate most candy commercials. Seriously. The sound of the Kit Kat commercials makes me stabby. I really want to punch someone every time I hear it. <laughs> and then she goes on, Worthers. Of course they still make them in a shop front in a quaint little town. I roll. <laughs> Lint. Naturally, these are hand fashioned by a handsome man using a copper bowl and a fancy whisk. Right. Can I stop on that one for yeah, a second? Do because wanna, like, do you play I don't the... know if it's worth necessarily playing, but um, I think maybe reminding people what it is. Because like, when she mentions uh, Kit Kat, the sound of it cracking, absolutely. I know what you're talking about. Worthers, yes. I mean... I know the vibe of those commercials instantly. They're the same vibe of the candy, which is just for old people. Um, <laughs> but then Lint, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a Lint, if, if I'm saying that they're right, like, you know, they, they do. They're like any kind of upscale um, candy commercial. I think uh, Ferrero Rocher does a very similar kind mm. of thing where it's like slow-mo, chocolate pouring over... Uh, bonbon. You know, when I was reading this email today, I did a quick Google. And I was like, well, maybe I should just like take a quick look at a lint. And then as soon as I saw it, yeah, of course I've seen it before. I just don't remember it because they're so forgettable. It's just like, it's the type of ad that I think of as just like, women love chocolate and chocolate is sexy. The best time of your day. Unwrap. Unwind. Experience the melt. Only the Lindor Truffle from the Lindt Master Chocolatier. It's got every single little element of a chocolate yeah. ad that I'd never even thought about before. But when you see it, it's just like all the just like things splashing into a so, rich chocolate. As as Anne points out, like a handsome man in the kitchen kind of making, stirring this chocolate slowly. The way advertisers advertise chocolate to women is hilarious. It is so, and it's like, and then when, of course, the scene where the woman who's got kind of a very kind of conservative 90s. <laughs> haircut and is always just like draped in some sort of um, uh, light white satin as she sits in oh a well-lit room and then bites into that piece of chocolate for the first time and it basically has a chocgasm yeah no, I, they, they, I was just gonna say they film it like softcore pornography yes and i suppose that's the that's the operating principle here so anyway i'm sorry that i had to interrupt the email for that because i really thought like i don't even know what lindad and then as soon as i saw it I was like of course i do they just blend Blend in like fancy car commercials. Um, she also takes exception to Twix, and she says uh, of the left Twix, right Twix uh, debate, give me a big fat break. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny that she mentions Twix. I was uh, I was at a Best Buy recently, and I was just whatever. I was snacky, and I bought a Twix when I was at the checkout lane. And the the checkout, the guy at the checkout was a young guy. When he saw me buying the Twix, said. Which are, which are you going to vote for, right Twix or left Twix? And I said something like, wow, I guess that campaign's really working. And then he kind of gave me a blank stare. Um, <laughs> and then I said, well, I have a podcast. No. <laughs> yeah. and, they, and then I said, do you know what podcasts are? They involve a technology called RSS. 
Um, no, but I thought it right. was. It's kind of interesting. Like that campaign has to me always felt a little bit of a bit of a little force. So force. That's exactly the word I would use. Um, not that I find it terribly objectionable, but I, it doesn't really resonate with me. But I think it's interesting that it has enough saturation and enough resonance to get people to even kind of think of it as a tagline, you know? I actually do find it objectionable. I hate it. All right. um, the in the There's a whole series of them, and I think maybe one of the reasons I hate it so much is I, I think I've only seen the one. There seems to be one, at least in the shows that I watch, that is in the most heavy rotation, and it's... I. I'm doing this from memory, so I may get some details wrong, but I think it's a tour group of, you know, a bunch of families touring one of the Twix factories, and it's kind of clear that there is one factory that makes the Twix on the left side of the package, and there's an entire different factory that makes the right Twix, and they're taking a tour of one of them, and the the tour guide gets snotty when some kid's like, that's not how they do it at the the other factory. No, the point of the joke is that's exactly how they do it at the other factory the 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 joke throughout these the Uh, whole campaign is it's identical in each factory but they just they describe it using like very slightly different wording right so the the joke is yes obviously the right and left hooks are completely identical but there's a a manufactured rivalry between them that is ridiculous because they are there is no appreciable difference and like you say I felt it was so forced. It just seemed like, oh, they're just trying to create something that is just completely out of whole cloth. But I have to say, today I wanted to go back and watch that ad. And instead of finding the one I've seen a million times on TV, I saw the origin story ad, which I think is maybe worth playing. You can hear how they mess around with language a little bit more. And the joke seems a little bit more obvious in this one. I hate it slightly less (laughs) seeing the beginning of this. So sorry, Anne. Years ago, when the inventors Seamus and Earl unveiled their Twix bar, the tension between them reached a breaking point. Literally. Neither would give up control. So they did the logical thing. And dev- so I'm going to explain what we just saw there. The original Twix bar was one giant candy bar, and they're both holding an end of it, and it breaks in half, and then so does their relationship, and they start fighting. And now we get to the real crux of the matter. They are each going to make their own factory. Out the company, out of spite. Earl went as far away as possible to start over. Apparently, not far enough. Seamus tirelessly designed a monument to his individuality, while Earl labored intensively on a monument to his individuality. Each each time they do anything, the other one does it exactly the same. And now they end up with two factories directly uh, next door to each other. Each factory took a vastly different approach. Left Twix flowed caramel on cookie, while right Twix cascaded caramel on cookie. Left Twix bathed in chocolate, while right Twix cloaked in chocolate. Both bars as different as the vastly distinct men who invented them. So that's the original uh, commercial, and it's like a minute long. It's got a little bit more detail. I I do think that I was suffering a little bit from not maybe seeing that very first one, even though I understood the basic premise. Apparently, I didn't. You had to correct me. But (laughs) I feel like I understood the basic premise, but it all just felt like Your takeaway was like, these candy bars are so different. (laughs) No, I mean... Which one am I going to choose? It just sort of seemed um, kind of stupid to me. This (laughs) is an aside, Genevieve, but if you don't mind for a second... um, 
this has got me thinking about something that's been popping up in my brain a lot lately when I'm watching commercials by, I think it's another State Farm ad. That's right. State Farm has another... We just can't get off that State Farm I know. I, I'm just realizing how much State Farm talk we're doing lately. And this is a campaign that I do love now, but didn't in the beginning. But I like the way it really came full circle. Um, if if you turn on TV now and you see a State Farm ad where you see a couple of insurance agents just maybe talking in the office or maybe having a sandwich at lunchtime in the office, and then suddenly one of them disappears and they just go away. And then you see a different scene inside the office and then one of the agents just disappears. What we know as people who've been watching TV for a long time, these agents are disappearing because they are popping up in the lives of somebody else who needs help at that very moment, needs insurance help at that very moment. Yeah, they sang the jingle. They, what's that? What happens is the, the customer right. sings the, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right. and their agent appears. Right, and that's how the commercials began like a long time ago, years ago. Yeah. We didn't see the agents disappearing from the office space. We saw somebody who was in trouble because they just got into a car accident so they sang uh, State Farm is there and then an agent appeared all of a sudden the only reason this new campaign or this latest iteration of the campaign works is because they have spent years training us as to what's happening on the other side of that and I think it's really interesting that they can totally not even show or explain where these people are going we just get it and there's something I think there's something admirable about that. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, it shows um, a con- they've had a consistent brand message, although it's funny that we're saying that because we've talked about um, two two other campaigns that they've done that we don't like. Mm-hmm. So they, and this is the thing about insurance. I would love to see some numbers just in the U.S. on how many dollars are spent on advertising insurance every year. I mean, I guess it's because, like we've talked about, it's a product that in most states people are required to have, and even if you're not required to have it, most people do have it. So there's a huge marketplace for insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much money out there that it's worth all these ad dollars. But, I mean, think about the number of insurance commercials you've seen um, if you watch any kind of media, and it doesn't have to be television like traditional television. If you watch anything that has paid advertising, you're seeing insurance ads. Mm-hmm. I mean, Geico, we've talked about three different state farm campaigns right now. And then, of course, Progressive. All name, state yeah, farmers, yeah. Uh, insurance. Farmers, I mean, it's right, relentless. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got us way off track. Um, Anne was telling us about a candy commercial she hates. Oh, but then she has one that she likes, she yes. says. Uh, this is the Cadbury Egg Audition commercial, and it, this is such a classic. Why don't you, why don't you play it? I, I can't remember if there's any good audio in it. Yeah, this is an old commercial. I think they kind of keep on maybe updating it a little bit. This particular one is from like the mid-90s, and these are the tryouts for all the different animals that want to take the place of the Cadbury bunny. Something more cuddly, yeah. We see a pig on stage, a cat dressed up like a bunny, a, ro- a lion. maybe. Thank you. Not quite what we had in mind, yes. Everyone wants to be the Cadbury Bunny. Because only he brings Cadbury cream eggs with their delicious milk chocolate outside and creamy filling. While others may keep trying, there's only one Cadbury Bunny, and no bunny knows Easter better than him. You love Cadbury eggs. I can't. Have I ever had one? I don't know. They are like the most sweetness that you can have at one time. I mean, they. If, Legally? I, well, I think just scientifically. <laughs> I love one, and then, like, I don't ever want to eat anything again. Yeah, you eat one a year? Yeah, pretty much. 
right. So uh, we had one more piece of feedback that uh, relates to our last week's show, to the Cheese and G's show. And this is from listener Eric. And um, I think this, <laughs> this is a great PSA that Eric sent in. So thank you, Eric. He writes, your discussion of haunting PSAs from childhood, and if you recall, we talked about um, the Smokey the Bear campaign, uh, a couple couple of Smokey the Bear uh, forest fire PSAs that focused, that were were so dark as to be somewhat disquieting. Um, They made me think of this ad that gave me nightmares when I was a kid and is the reason I can never, ever, ever go anywhere in a car without a seatbelt. And I had never seen this seatbelt PSA. Me, me neither. This um, is a pretty old it's one. It's a pretty old one. And holy moly, Eric, you are not kidding. This thing is extremely dark. Unfortunately, all the chill factor comes in with the visuals, but let's get there first. I've seen oh, hundreds of accidents on the freeway, and uh, cars have been totaled, and uh, people have just, uh, just walked kind of away an average from looking them guy talking about how unimportant it is to, to wear a seatbelt. Oh, I, uh, I, I, I couldn't be bothered. They're, they're, they're too confining. And, and then they uh, go ahead. Yeah, as soon as you hear that kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if that's like timpani? a timpani sound, uh, the visual of him flashes to him all in the same position, but completely uh, swathed in bandages and casts. So he's been in a terrible accident. Yeah, he's got a big cast on his arm, and, and so it kind of switches from an in-color photo of him sitting in a comfortable armchair at a party to this black-and-white grainy image of him kind of sitting in basically the same position, only obviously in a lot of pain. So then it goes on. Now we see a woman in her kitchen. I suppose the day doesn't go by that I don't get my And time. many of the ones who had accidents also had good excuses for not wearing safety belts. By the way, do you recognize that guy's voice? I don't. Really? Keep listening. I don't know. I'm just to go shopping. No, but that's the right era. Besides, they wrinkle my dress. We suddenly... That is the scariest one. Yeah. We see the housewife suddenly. she She's sitting there at the kitchen table talking to the camera, saying she doesn't like to wear seatbelts because they wrinkle her dress. And then all of a sudden, we hear the timpani, and it cuts to this black and white grainy photo of her literally bandaged from head yeah. to toe. You can only see her eyes through a little slit, and it is frightening. Some excuses are good for broken bones and skull fractures. Around town, they feel uncomfortable. And I like to relax when I drive. There are a million and one excuses for not wearing safety belts. Some are real killers. Anyway, I just played the rest of it so you could guess his voice. You don't recognize it. I don't. What if I said just the facts, ma'am? Oh, uh, Jack Webb, Jack Webb. From, yeah, Dragnet. from Dragnet. Yeah, very, very distinctive voice to me. I, I like Dragnet growing up. I think I've seen Dragnet like one and a half times. All right, what else we have? Want to um, want to move back in time here? Yes, let's uh, continue to roll back the clock. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of feedback we got from our political ads show that we did with Libby Dankman. Yeah. Um, this was from listener Heidi, uh, who sent us something that I really love. Uh, it was an article about uh, the use of dolls. Uh, if you recall, we talked about a Ted Cruz ad that was attacking Donald Trump by using the Trump action figure, which I think they just used the actual Trump action figure, right? Because there is one. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm not sure, but uh. I think they did. They talked about, uh, or they, sorry, the ad uh, used the action figure uh, in the hands of children saying all saying all of these like horrible things that uh trump 
will do or, or has done. And, and he's just kind of destroying the dollhouse. Yeah. Like they're trying to play dolls, but then this big Trump doll comes in and just yeah, starts smashing through, through eminent out. domain. Right, exactly. Um, so what's interesting is that um, there was a sort of a similar ad back when Jesse Ventura, if you recall, Jesse the Body Ventura was a mm-hmm. professional wrestler who uh, was elected governor of uh, Minnesota, I believe, right? Yeah. And um, he, you know, also had an action figure of him and they made a commercial about for his campaign that was a a pro Ventura commercial in which uh, Jesse, the body, smashes the deficit and smashes gridlock. And, you know, they use the the toy as like a pro 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 candidate message. And there's an article um, that that Heidi sent us. That sort of says, well, you know, this this cruise ad that attacks Trump isn't as effective because why would a child be playing with a Trump doll and talking about eminent domain? I feel like, I mean, I you know, we as I said earlier, we'll get pedantic when we want to get yeah, pedantic, right, but when right. other people try it, forget. Right? Yeah, we are <laughs> a little do, hypocritical. I do feel like the you know it's, it's a little bit literal to look at that ad and say like this doesn't make sense because why would a kid children don't play with you know don't talk about eminent domain like yeah obviously that's the joke well i love the ted cruz ad uh, with or without this one but i do think it's really interesting to know that it was at least it must have been at least inspired by this one i think we have some pretty good audio here let's check it out yeah go ahead and play it new from the reform party It's the new Jesse Ventura action figure. You can make Jesse battle special interest groups. I don't like your stupid money. And party politics. We politicians have powers the average man can't comprehend. You can also make Jesse lower so taxes, great. improve public education, and fight for the things Minnesotans really care about. This bill wastes taxpayer money. Please trust it. Don't waste your vote on politics as usual. Vote Reform Party candidates. That's great. I, I that's love a, that. It's a good ad, but I also think that Ted Cruz's follow-up version is also awesome. Totally. So, I, you know, again, yeah. um, as as a another as listener Rich said, and I totally agree. We settled on Ted Cruz as our commercial spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> now, um, this next ad that somebody is responding to, Rich was responding to my complaint about the uh, Hillary uh, Clinton. Ad now, my feelings about this are very confused. My um, ability to describe ads today is also very confused. So <laughs> let me just try to try to explain this in as uh, short a period of time as possible. But there is this ad where um, Hillary Clinton is talking to a bunch of folks at some sort of town hall meeting, a very intimate gathering. It does not look like it is professionally re- professionally videotaped. It clearly is not professionally recorded. Um, it's basically this kind of shaky handheld. Uh, probably actually done with somebody's cell phone footage of her talking to a little girl who tells her that her parents got a deportation letter. We assume that this uh, little girl is, uh, you know, her parents are from Latin America somewhere. And um, people really like it. And our guest Libby said that it actually kind of made her emotional because Clinton realizes that this little girl is scared. She could potentially lose her parents or she could be sent, most likely she would be sent back south of the border as well. And I just made the argument that it didn't seem, Hillary does not seem that warm to me in the ad. And this is probably my somewhat anti-Hillary bias where it just seemed like it, 
is something that was very calculated but meant to seem like it was spontaneous. And a lot of people have argued with me on that, people that I know who work in radio and say, if they were planning on releasing this as a commercial like you claim, there's no way they wouldn't have tried to get better audio of it. And I, I just, my feelings are complicated. It just seemed like Hillary was like, oh, this is that moment where I talk to the little girl who is scared of being deported. We talked about this in a lot of meetings, and um, now is my time to do it. And it's just a gut feeling I have, but I'm I'm probably wrong. So anyway, what did Rich say about it? Well, Rich said something which I agree with, and I wish I had expressed it better in the show. Um, he says, I wanted to make a comment on Andrew's skepticism on political ads, in particular the Hillary Clinton ad. I'm not sure we should ever elect anyone who hadn't thought about the potential for a question to come up and hadn't worked on a response. Could you imagine if we had elected officials who stood in front of an audience and never said, I wonder what they might ask me? And if they ask me this, what should I say to be clear, concise, and consistent? Uh, oh, wait, we have that. It's Donald Trump. So uh, I, I agree with uh, I agree with Rich, and I think I was sort of sort of closing in on making that point and then didn't really make it. But yes. To your point, it was calculated as it should be because she should have an answer to, to that kind of question. Now, as far as the presentation or the production of it, I think that's sort of a, a, a sort of a personal preference. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I feel like that. I don't blame you or Rich for missing my point because <laughs> I'm making a really bad point. I'm, I'm muddling my point. But I mean, obviously, I don't want to elect somebody who's just winging it all the time. And I don't think that I would like any campaign <laughs> that was just kind of like, oh, this is a commercial that we didn't think about, that we didn't produce, that we didn't then buy airtime for. I mean, of course, there's an entire process to number one being on the campaign trail and then deciding what is going to go to your go into your commercials and whether or not that's cinema verite or not for me i and again this may have to do with a very specific bias i have against this candidate and i and i apologize to supporters of her for this but what gets under my skin is when the campaign specifically is trying to make us believe something is very real when it's not. For example, let's go back to the ad that I just loved of Jesse Ventura and the kids playing with those dolls or the Ted Cruz version. They were funny. I liked them. They were produced. They were well thought out. They made the points that they should. They, I don't like those commercials because I truly believe that kids were playing with campaign dolls. I just feel like in this case, the Hillary commercial is supposed to really pull on my heartstrings and really underscore that she is really kind of good on the fly and a very warm person, which is something that her campaign clearly needs to try to bolster. And I just think it's bullshit. So there's base. I was, what I was going to ask you was, how could they have um, produced an ad when that little girl asked that question? How could they have produced an ad that would have worked for you? And maybe the answer is they can't because her personality doesn't work in that way for you. And I, that's what bothers me about it. And when I say an anti-Hillary um, bias I have, I, I don't mean that I'm against her wholesale. I will probably vote for her. And I actually would trust her... Um, policies on immigration more than anybody in, in the Republican side of things. So I don't have an issue um, believing that Hillary Clinton would at least try to do the right thing when it comes to immigration policy in this country. I don't believe that this moment with this little girl, 
I shouldn't say that I don't believe it really happened because I do believe it happened and I don't believe it was necessarily set up, but I do think that it just seems so calculated to me. I would rather just see a campaign that it doesn't have to be funny, not everything has to be funny, but I would I would just watch a really earnest scripted campaign with Hillary saying, this is what I'm going to do for immigration and, and maybe even take that little girl and, and say, like, we would like to use you in an ad and, and let's get let's help her parents and, and also get permission from her parents and, and build something around that moment. But I don't know it, what seemed to me like some sort of fake verite just didn't work for me. Well, we have one more piece of feedback on the um, politics show, and this is from listener Robert, who simply writes, um, I am still waiting for someone to make a parody of the Phil Collins classic Susu Studio for Marco Rubio. And I would say um, better make that fast because uh, <laughs> by the time this comes out, I don't know if he's still going to be in the race. All right. So then we're going back another show, going back in time to another show, Man Babies and Mommy Wives. We were trying to talk about the commercials that drive us personally crazy because um, they show men around the house who are just so dumb. They don't know how to do anything or they actually have learned how to do laundry and they're super praised <laughs> for being able to fold a, 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 a you know, a kid's T-shirt or something. Yeah. And I think this that show got people thinking kind of about gender roles in commercials and the, the way that men and women are assigned particular uh, domestic spheres or uh, particular roles within a relationship. And I got two emails uh, on this Buick Enclave commercial Neighbors. So thank you to listeners Sarah and Heidi for sending that in. Um, this is a commercial, and, and you can go ahead and play it, Andrew, but it's it's a man and a woman a, or a husband and wife standing at their kitchen window looking out to their neighbor's driveway and seeing the the neighbor couple pull up in a new Buick Enclave. Looks like the Garcia's got a new car. What do I get? I don't know. Maybe he got a raise. Good for him. Good for her. Enclave, one of five expectation-shattering models from... So it's a little swallowed, but if if you couldn't hear it, um, the husband uh, says, good for him, after she says maybe he got a raise. And then the wife says, kind of under her breath, not really to him, but sort of to herself, good for her. And she says it in this very weird kind of like passive aggressive way that but that it caught both sarah and heidi's ear and frankly mine and this one has always bothered me it's such a weird thing in 2015 or 16 whenever this came out i think it's been out for a while it's such a weird uh sort of note to strike i think like you have this couple that seem slightly at odds with each other um enviously looking on as the garcias pull up in their new buick enclave and having this kind of like undercurrent of uh, aggression toward each other about like how much money does Mr. Garcia make? And like, does, you know, does, did his wife score by getting this like high earning mate? And it's weird in so many ways. And like, why is it assumed that the wife, Mrs. Garcia, isn't the breadwinner here? Mm -hmm. Or isn't the like... That the, she didn't get a raise. That she didn't get a raise. Like, mm -hmm. you know, is this some sort of Stepford village where like... You know, it's just, it just seems like these very prescribed uh, sort of gender roles. And, and again, like, I'm very sensitive in these commercials to the tone, particularly like when it, between uh, husbands and wives. And it makes me really anxious or uncomfortable, like with that State Farm one where I feel like 
God, what's it like when the when you know? When yeah, what's going on in your relationship? What's going on in your that you relationship? assume your husband <laughs> is um, you know cheating on you when you catch him talking on the phone at three in the morning. Now there is I had read Sarah and Heidi's notes on this um, before I ever watched the ad, mm-hmm. and so I did watch the ad today. There is one caveat I'd like to point out, and uh, I mean I agree with everything you said, and I agree with Sarah and Heidi's points, and I don't I don't want to I don't want to miss the point on this one, but. There is one wrinkle that should be noted, which is right as the wife says, good for her, that it, that totally corresponds with the guy, the Garcia, Mr. Garcia, getting out of the car. And we see that he is a hottie boom body. So she is kind of reacting to his physical looks as well. But then now I have even more questions. because <laughs> So they obviously know that their neighbors are the Garcias. They know what their neighbors look like. She's suddenly reacting to the fact that her her neighbor, the neighbor wife, has like a hunky husband. Like that seems out of character. Well, you there are there are uh, handsome men in our life that when when a name comes up, you'd be like, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's totally out of character for somebody to point out that I don't. I don't think that we're supposed to believe she's seeing Mr. Garcia for the very first time. She's just seeing him, and once again, he is hot getting out of that car. I guess so. I don't think it's, that this is I, a very progressive commercial, and I would get rid of it it's too. It's a confusing line to me. Yeah. What progressiveness aside, um, it's a confusing line to me, and I think it um, is just problematic. But anyway. Um, we had one more uh, piece of email about the Man Babies and Mommy Wives show, and this was from listener Danny, uh, who, again, uh, was kind of got her thinking about, uh, you know, gender roles and, and domestic spheres. And she sent in this commercial from 2014 for Gain, which is a laundry detergent. Mm. Uh, and the commercial is Me Towel as Sue Towel. Uh, and she writes, this commercial feels misogynistic to me um, because the line, ever since Daryl's wife started using Gain... Um, so Daryl can't do laundry. <laughs> it sounds just like from the 50s, ever since Daryl's yeah, wife. Yeah, and this is from two years ago. Why don't you play it? Ever since Daryl's wife started using Gain Flings, their laundry smells more amazing than ever. Honey, isn't that the dog's towel? <laughs> hey, me towel, Sue towel. More scent plus oxy boost. So anyway, he is not at all um, upset by the fact that the dog has been rolling in, all over that towel and chewing on it, etc. This reminds me of something that happened to me once. Um, <laughs> I'll just tell like one embarrassing story about <laughs> my past in each episode from Please now on, I guess. Please involve your old bus driver. I was having, I was staying at a friend's house as a college girlfriend. I was staying at her, her house uh, over the weekend during college. And, you know, I, I was staying at her family's house. I didn't really know where everything was or what everything was. And I I went to get, I think, some cereal or some yogurt or something in the morning. And I was in the kitchen by myself. And I put it in a little dish. And I was, like, eating it. And it was, like, a clean dish out of the, you know, cupboard. And her mother comes in. And she was horrified. She said, oh, that's the cat dish. <laughs> and I was, like, at the time, I was kind of like, well, I mean, it's clean. You washed it. It's, you know, it's no dirtier than if it was a human bowl that had been dirty and been washed. But the family, you know how things become taboo. I think right, the family yeah. just like, oh my god, that's the cat. Dish. And also the fact that, like, you know, a young guest made the mistake. They were probably just mortified <laughs> as well. Um, you and I are very different because for me, it, if you're listening, Mrs. Fry, I have no hard feelings about it. <laughs> for me, like, it's the. Com- 
I'm totally on board with that family. Like the idea of eating out of a cat dish, even though you are correct, like scientifically, <laughs> as long as it's been washed well, it doesn't matter if it was cat food that was in there before or ground beef. Like right. how much of a difference is there? But for me, it's like, oh, the idea of eating out of the cat dish is so gross. <laughs> okay, just uh, time for a couple more here. Uh, now, oh, we're going all the way back to our super. Remember the Super Bowl? We watched it for the commercials. <laughs> okay, so uh, what do we got on the Super Bowl ads? Well, this is uh, from listener Micah, and he sent us an email uh, headline, Shots Fired. <laughs> um, and he said, it looks like TJ Miller and Shock Top, who, if you recall, um, were they, they did an ad. Uh, the comedian TJ Miller was featured in an ad for Shock Top, and he was sort of trading insults and barbs with a talking uh, tap head. Um, it looks like TJ Miller and Shock Top are trying to cop your format. Um, that said, they were equally horrified by Puppy Monkey Baby. So <laughs> what he means is that um, they did, uh, TJ Miller and the Shock Top Wedgehead uh, character uh, did a whole uh, little video where they kind of reviewed and and, and satirized uh, the Super Bowl commercials. Um, it was actually pretty funny. I think he's a talented comedian. Yeah, this is like a five. This isn't something for TV. This is something they posted the day after the Super Bowl. It's five minutes long. It's like a comedy bit. Yeah, and it's uh, we won't play the whole thing, but I think maybe there's a couple of pretty good jokes in here that we might want to play. Yeah, I'm actually going to play a pretty big chunk of this, maybe the first 90 seconds or so, because uh, what drives me crazy about this is some of it I just think is so, so bad, but then some <laughs> of it is so good, you know? And yeah, I, I mean, kinda... like, with everything with T.J. Miller, it, it it's designed to feel, um, you know, at, you know ad-libbed and... Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very much uh, just off the top of his head. And I think sometimes that works and sometimes it, it feels flat. Hey, what's up, Internet? Hope you're enjoying America's National Sick Day. Yeah, stay away from loud noises. <laughs> Today, we're taking an unfiltered look at the plays between the plays for Shock Top's big game ad review. There's a lot to cover. TJ, focus. Give it. Oh, here's the Budweiser ad. That is an aggressive beer ad. I think I'm going to drink it because I don't want a wedgie. Drink Budweiser or we're going to send Clydesdales to your house. feel like they're going to come for you in the night. And who thought they were ponies? Is that a pony that took a growth serum? Remember that? I do. Terrible, mean comment. Oh, get over it. You know that I have a pituitary gland issue. I don't know what pituitary glands are <laughs> or how they're pronounced. So, TJ, you see that wiener stampede? Yeah. Who came up with the wiener dog? It's like some strict German family of breeders like... No, they must be longer and smaller. <laughs> they must be the smallest, longest dogs in the land. Two things that I really combine all the time. The Milky Way and guacamole. Yeah, I didn't know there were avocados in space. This is the only advertisement where the makeup budget was more than the ad buy time. Look at him. He's Rhineville. He's got two girls driving around just absolutely enamored with every version of him. If you go to TJville... You just drive quickly, roll up all your windows, lock the doors, and look straight ahead. Yeah, you go, 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 go. And if your car stops before you hit me, you gun it. <laughs> I that, got it. Yeah, that, that, that was the joke. That like I, I started watching this somewhat begrudgingly. Um, and I was like, okay, whatever. But then I was like, okay, there's some good spoofs in there. And then when he got that TJville joke, I was laughing out loud in the coffee shop. I got to yeah. say, that really got me. I That's as much as I've watched. I, will, I actually will watch the rest of it just for enjoyment. Uh, and uh, Genevieve, we just have one more Super Bowl-related uh, letter here. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, why don't you read it? And this is from Kevin, who says, and again, referring back to the puppy monkey baby Mountain Dew uh, commercial, 
Kevin says, something just occurred to me when the horror of the puppy monkey baby commercial was just replayed on my TV. Somewhere, there's a Photoshop file showing two even more horrifying versions of this creature. The commercial settled on puppy head, monkey torso, baby legs, which means the ad company very likely did a mock-up of baby head, puppy body, monkey legs, and monkey head, baby body, puppy legs when determining which was the most commercially friendly. If I had any artistic ability, I'd try to draw the other two options for you. But since I don't, maybe another listener would take the bullet. You're welcome for the nightmares, signed Kevin. Oh, my God. That is a really good point. I had not thought of that. Do you think they chose the least horrifying or the most horrifying? That is a good question. I think baby head would be the most horrifying. I think you're right. I think you're right. That would because, be beyond the pale. Yes, it would seem like a real horror film yeah. where some some horrible person was doing something I, I awful think what in they their did, lab. I think what they did was make one of those books that you would get when, when you were a little kid where you would like, like, the fireman pants goes with the ballerina torso. Right, but yeah. you make it with like, and then you can try all of them. So um, I would say that um, listener Kevin has thrown down the gauntlet. Ad Council, do your worst. Show us the baby puppy monkey, the puppy baby monkey. Let's see them all. And when we say show us, we mean create them, but never, ever, please never show us because <laughs> I can't handle it. You can sell anything. Holy cow, that just zipped on by. I can't believe we're already at the end of the show. We still have tons of emails (laughs) that we will continue to read, and we want to get more emails and vmails from you guys. The email address, one more time, is after these messages show at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail. We did have a great voicemail we didn't have time to get to, but we will get to it next week. You can call us to 607 444 Five five nine seven. That is six zero seven four 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 five five nine seven. Or you can record a voice memo and then email it in. We had a listener do that recently, and that worked out well. All right, Genevieve. Anything else? Oh, I guess we should mention the Facebook page. Yep. As always, uh, we actually do pull a lot of the feedback we use from the Facebook page. You can uh, post as a visitor post there. You can post underneath the things that we post there. Um, that's uh, after these messages show. Uh, on Facebook. The email is equally easy to remember. It's after these messages show at Gmail. Um, and I want to send a, a special thank you to um, the iTunes user who keeps changing our reviews. <laughs> I am totally with you, sir or madam, and I love it. Uh, we love getting iTunes reviews. We really uh, rely on them. It's kind of the only way we have of uh, you know driving up the popularity or, or visibility for this show. So uh, if you want to do something nice for us, leave us a positive iTunes review. Uh, and thanks. We'll talk to you next week. Yep. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Kid, totally stupid and sick. No scruples. Cool man. Ice cream. Scooping it. You can sell anything.